The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? It's the Points in the Paint podcast, stadium's number one. <laughs> Still number one for the 58th week in a row. Ben Wittenstein. And Zach Badger House is in the house for the 58th time in a row, bringing you all your latest and greatest NBA news all across the association. Yeah, lots of stuff <laughs> to talk about. We are, what, approaching the halfway point of the NBA season. Still got another half to go, which will be a lot of fun. kill me every time. I'm sorry. <laughs> you kill me Listen, every time. We are the number that. one NBA stadium podcast. That is simply a fact at this point. We are the only NBA stadium podcast, but we can still be the number one. We have to, uh, we have to prop that up a little bit. <laughs> oh, man, that's hilarious. <laughs> you can find us anywhere you find the podcasts. We uh, had a little, uh, I think it was, Podbean had a bit of a glitch for their Apple podcast last week. So it took about 24 hours uh, more for the podcast to go up on Apple podcast. But we finally got on there and uh, you can leave us a, leave some comments, rate us, whatever you want to do, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, but Zach might as well just jump right into it with the story of the week. Our top story tonight. And I never really thought we would be talking about this team as our story of the week in a positive way, but we are. And it's the Milwaukee Bucks. They are finally bouncing back. They're looking like a legitimate contender once again after we criticized them like two or three weeks ago. Uh, we were criticizing them basically every single week for the past month of like February for just how poorly they were playing, how how poorly Giannis was playing, but Zach, the past like four or five games, they, uh, they seem to have turned a lot around. Yeah. They've done a lot better than what they were before, <laughs> you know, this streak that they're on, they weren't doing too well. And a lot of that had to do with, I think, poor coaching from coach, Bud, in my opinion, he doesn't make enough adjustments throughout the game in the game. And that leads to a lot of open threes from their opponents and, you know, a lot of fast break opportunities. But with the return of Drew Holiday, I think a lot of things will be able to turn around for the Milwaukee Bucks. And granted, my boy Giannis has been playing exceptionally well during their little streak that they're on. They've won like five in a row currently. And Giannis is playing very, very well. 35 points a game, 12 rebounds during the streak. He beat the Los Angeles Clippers in a great game, great duel this past weekend. Great matchup versus the uh, Los Angeles Clippers with obviously Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And he was able to take care of business against that team down the stretch. And it's very important that the Bucs win tight games because those were the games they were losing during that losing streak that the Bucs were on. Yeah, it's it's kind of been interesting to see that transformation. And you mentioned it. Giannis is, is a really big reason why the Bucs have been so good lately. He's been playing a lot better. He's been playing better off the ball. That's been big. And when you talk about Budenholzer's adjustments, I think he actually got that adjustment correctly with playing Giannis better off the ball. We're seeing yeah. him take a lot more lobs. And I think that play against the Clippers was indicative to how good he has gotten in that system playing off the ball against the Clippers when he had the wide open dunk to extend the lead and, and to win that game against the Clippers late in the game. He played really well off the ball. He just made a cut into open space and, I don't know if we would have seen Giannis do that a couple years ago, even last year, but he's gotten a lot more comfortable playing off the ball in this system, at least in the past month or so. And that's what you like to really see, you know, moving forward is that don't have all the pressure be 
on Giannis. Have him be the the guy that's running the floor and that's going to get, like you said, the alley-oops or the, the layups and put the pressure on the defense where they have to put they have to worry about the guy with the ball and Giannis. And so now that creates an interesting dynamic in the fast break. It creates a scenario during the inbound pass where you've seen during the Clippers game where during the inbound they were able to throw alley-oops to Giannis because Giannis isn't in a situation where he's going to get the ball at the top of the key. And it's like, okay, make a play now, Giannis. And four guys is going to be outside three-point line you make a play you see that you're gonna they're gonna build a wall against Giannis Giannis is gonna have to force to kick it out and it's up to the guy like a uh Dante DiVincenzo to knock down a three or Chris Middleton or DJ Augustine or who's ever in that scenario or that case where they're in the corner or on the wing where Giannis has to kick it out and have to shoot the three or they may miss and now we're back to the fast break. Oh, we give it up layups on the other end because of long contested threes leading out to fast break points for the opponent. And so when you have situations like that, it can be tough. But as long as you can you know, keep the ball out of Giannis' hands, not so much during a deep stretch of games, the Bucks will be fine moving, moving forward. Another big thing that they've been doing too, Zach, is they've been playing so much better in crunch time. Uh, the, the stat that I saw is they were 0-11 this season in games where they were tied or trailing at the start of the fourth quarter um, until last week, they had not won a game when they were losing going into the fourth quarter. And now they're starting to win some of these closer games. Um, they were able to break that slump uh, they, against the new Orleans Pelicans. They won 129, 125, and they were able to win against the Clippers late in the game when it was close. And that's, we've seen the bucks do that a little bit, last season and the season before that, but it goes without saying that you need to be able to win close games if you want to have any chance at competing for a title. And the Bucks simply had not been doing that. And now they're finally turning it around. And I think, like you said, hopefully now with Drew Holiday back, they're able to get some chemistry with him on the fly. And they're finally able to get some stuff done defensively that they hadn't been able to get done before. And with Giannis streaking and playing some of the best basketball that he has been playing this season, it seems like everything's kind of coming together for the Bucks. Um, and it's a really wide open Eastern Conference, too. So they really it's theirs for the taking. Yeah. And they're still going to have to be able to beat the teams like Philly and teams like Brooklyn as well, because it, it looks like they're going to go on a stretch stretch where they're not going to be necessarily playing teams with the best record. And so they may fall into a situation where they're blowing team out teams out or they're winning games by 15 plus points. And so they're going to have to remember that when it comes down to playing the better teams, that when it gets crush time that they're going to be able to they're going to have to be able to come out on top and pull through in, in clutch moments like making those shots and creating those plays where Giannis is able to attack down the stretch and really be able to not see the wall that everyone likes to speak about yeah right now they're in third in the east a game and a half back of first place from the uh, 76ers so listen I mean I gave them crap for the, the first half of the season that they played for January and February they just looked bad they just did not look like a team that was prepared to make any type of run into the championship game, into the champion of the finals, into the Eastern conference finals and even anything like that. And they've really turned it around and you hope that they continue that into the playoffs. Cause they're a fun team to root for. It would be great Zach to see Giannis win a title. I think that would be a lot of fun and he's got a good supporting cast around him. And DiVincenzo is playing well. Chris Middleton has had his ups and downs this season as he literally always has every single year. So they have the pieces in place, and hopefully that Drew Holiday edition is is what's going to put them over the top. That's that's the key, right? Drew Holiday, like you want him to be able to have the pressure off of Giannis. Like I think yeah. that's the key. Like that's the key of that roster right now is Drew Holiday. Like, that's the key piece. They're going to go as far as he allows that team to go because. We already know what Giannis is capable of doing, but who's going to take the pressure off of Giannis? I think it has to be Drew Holiday. I would imagine. And and that's why they brought him in. Um, and I think we'll look back at this whole Bucks team for the past four years and say getting rid of Malcolm Brogdon was one of their worst moves and not signing him. And instead of getting putting the money towards Eric Bledsoe, that was probably one of the worst moves that they have made throughout this time with Giannis. So they have been looking for that point guard to replace Brogdon and, and Drew Holiday theoretically should be that point guard to replace him and, and should be good enough defensively and be a good enough facilitator and at points be that offensive player that they need when Giannis either isn't having a good night shooting or the defense has him really trapped up. He should be that guy that they turn to. Who's been making you some money, buddy? It's been the, it's been the Utah Jazz for now and ever. 
the Utah Jazz, <laughs> they have been just so good. They they continue to lead the league in against the spread, right? What are they against the spread so far this season? They're 25 and 10. Um, they're one of the, they are and have been the best team against the spread in the NBA for like a month and a half. And they've been one of the best teams in the NBA for that stretch. So it, it's hard to bet against the Jazz now. That would make sense if you bet them against the Heat and they lost. You'd be upset. If you bet them against the Pelicans on, <laughs> on, on Monday night, you would be upset. So they have been slipping up a little bit, but in general, they've been making people money. Yeah, and, you know, time and time again, what, what's this, what week is this in a row? At least four or five now. Yeah, I, I think it's probably, yeah. It's been about and, over a month. And when you watch the games, you see, like, you never know who's really going to have, who's going to be the leading scorer sometimes because, because uh, Jordan Clarkson, he may go off. Hey, Ben, he may go off. You, you might play a prop. You know, you might want to take it with Jordan Clarkson. You just, you never know. If it's like 17 and a half, I'd hammer the over because he might go for 25 or he may get five threes in the first half. You just never know with Jordan Clarkson, a guy like him. So <laughs> I say all that to say, uh, you know, they're, they're playing collective good basketball, whether it's going to come from a guy like Clarkson or Bajanovic or even Donovan Mitchell, even given night, obviously, as well. And you may even get a 20-point game from Rudy Gobert on every four or five games. So you never know, right? Yeah, we talked to Cam, our guest, Cam Smith, about Jordan Clarkson and what he's been brought to the Utah Jazz. <laughs> so that we'll have that interview coming up. But it certainly is fun to watch a team where you just don't know who's going to be the leading scorer every night. And it's hard as hell to defend against a team like that. Because yep. I, don't, I don't know how you game plan for a team who you don't know who's going to be the main offensive player that night. I mean, you can assume it may be Donovan Mitchell, but hey, maybe one day Joe Angles goes off. Maybe it's Royce O'Neal or it's going to be Jordan Clarkson. You just you just don't know. And, that, and that's what makes them so dangerous. And consequently, it's what makes them fun to bet on. You're going to make money betting the Utah Jazz. Now, the team that you don't want to be betting on, <laughs> and Zach, you made this mistake. You didn't bet on them specifically, but you bet on a player on that team. And that's the Houston Rockets. They are the yeah. worst team in the NBA against the spread, 11-22. and 22, And God, do they suck. They're so bad, and it's like (laughs) no, because listen, man, this it's not even. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's funny if you don't put money on them. Yeah, you know, and so Victor Oladipo. Hey, let me tell you a story though. Last night, last night I was really, I was so mad, like I was so frustrated with the simple fact that the Houston Rockets not only did they not win the game, but and I didn't bet that or anything, but. I specifically bet, you know, in his return, 21 and a half, man, he can get 22 points. Victor Oladipo, he can get 22 points. When I tell you he had 20 points, four missed bunny layups, and a missed technical foul free throw in the second half alone, I was so, so frustrated. Oh. To, the, to the point where I was looking for the man's Venmo. <laughs> I just going to set him a note. I, I was trying to request, I need my $100. Like, yeah. you cost me $100 because you couldn't make a free throw. You couldn't make three or four easy layups. You couldn't get mad at the ref a little bit more so he can have your, so you can have your way down the next play, like, for the next possession, like, nothing. Like, you couldn't give me nothing. You just was cool with the missed layups, with the contact. That could have been a foul. Like, you got to ride the ref or something, man. Get your points somehow, some way. And man, Victor Oladipo was just too chill with his 20 points, 8 of 21 shooting. It's, um, <laughs> there's nothing more hurtful than watching a guy that you bet on player prop to get the over missing little bunny layups. There is, <laughs> there is probably nothing more infuriating than that. That has, that is one of the top infuriating betting things to ever happen. And I, I have a buddy who, uh, who if, if a player doesn't make him any money, he'll he'll hop in the, the uh, Instagram DMs, send him a little DM and say, hey, send, shoot me some money for uh, for what you cost me. <laughs> See what I'm saying? That's what I need to do. I am definitely need to reach out to Victor Depot's side <laughs> and his DMs real quick and be like, what's your, v, what's your Venmo? Because <laughs> I'm trying to request this little me. tease real quick. It ain't even going to hurt your pockets. And I'm not even – see, I'm requesting my money off principle. Bro, you're a professional sure. basketball player, bro. Bro, make the damn layup. <laughs> it's fair. But see, now now if he does make you money, can he request Venmo money from you now? Because he won you money, so he gets a little bit of the cut. 
<laughs> now that's an interesting question. If he want five dollars, you know, he want a little five percent off the hundred dollars or however he want to do it, and that's fine. <laughs> there you go. Two percent, whatever. But yes, the, the Rockets' worst team against the spread. They were somehow favored, and I know the Cavaliers have been bad, but they have been better in the past week. I mean, if we're talking about teams that have bounced back, the Bucks absolutely have been number one. But the Cavaliers have looked a lot better in the past couple weeks. And the the Rockets were favored against the Cavaliers by, I think, two and a half points was the closing line. And they lost. I mean, that was that was one of the easiest locks of the night was betting the Cavs money line at plus money. I I, I don't know why the Cavs were favored in that match. I don't know why or I don't know why Houston was favored after they had been losing consistently, looking terrible. But they were. I think it was because Victor Oladipo returned. Yeah, and like with him returning, they probably just automatically thought he was going to be himself, which, like me, I thought he was going to be himself. 22 yeah. points. He can get 22 points, Ben, right? Right? Wrong. He, I, you would have expected it. But listen, the Cavs have won four in a row now. They have. They have. They're a four-game win streak, and they've beaten the Rockets twice. <laughs> they've beaten the Rockets <laughs> twice. They've beaten the 76ers at Philadelphia. They did do that. And they they've did beaten the Hawks. That game. So watch out for the Cavs, I guess. They're they're finally the the, the young players are kind of getting it together. And and you listen, if you want a player to do player prop for, Colin Sexton, I think has done pretty good hitting his points over this season. So he may be a, a player to focus on for some of these uh, player prop bets if you're interested in that. Um, best over team continues to be the New Orleans Pelicans. Just hammer those Pelicans overs till you die. It is it is pretty. Pretty automatic that they're going to hit their over 25 overs in 34 games this season. I think season. Vegas just like undervalues their scoring ability. It, it seems like not their opponents, but I think that they believe like the idea that okay they're going to they're going to slow it down or something or possession by possession. I don't know what the scenario is with Vegas with like the the number the total number with the New Orleans Pelicans, but I just think they're under they've been undervalued in the past in the past few games. Yeah, and maybe maybe they're continu- maybe they will be overvalued now that they are continuing to be the best over team in the NBA. But that something's being undervalued there. It's either their offensive scoring ability, and we've seen Zion go on some thirty-point games in the past mm-hmm. week, so he's been playing really well. And maybe their interior defense has been bad. And you know, it could be a combination of the both uh, of both better scoring than people expect and just the worst defense than people expect. Now the team with the best unders has one of the best defenses in the league, and it's the New York Knicks. Continues to be the New York Knicks, and Tom Thibodeau continues to be the king of the unders. <laughs> hey, the Knicks are shining bright, man. I know the New York – I know Chris is – Chris out there in New York, Chris Williamson, our main man from Sports New York, Sports Network New York, man. Shout out to him. I know he's over there happy that the New York Knicks – be having little small win streaks. They get little three games in. They may lose. Then they may get another one, like four games. So I know they're over there at the a New York Knicks fan base out there, man. I know they're super ecstatic where the New York Knicks are streaky a little bit at times. It seems to me Thibodeau might just be betting every single Knicks under <laughs> along with us because he has his teams consistently play really good defense. And before Derrick Rose was added to the team, their offense was disgusting. It was horrible. It, you, you, you couldn't watch it. They, they struggled to score from every spot on the court. And now with Derrick Rose, their offense is becoming a little bit more fluid and they're scoring a little bit better. Uh, and Julius Randle has been playing a lot better too. So you combine those two and you would expect maybe the Knicks would hit a little bit more of their overs, but they continue to be the best team in the NBA to hit their unders. And I don't really see that changing in the immediate future. So if you love to bet overs, which everyone should, they're a lot of fun to bet on, you go the New Orleans Pelicans route, and if you hate watching basketball, you bet the unders and you watch the New York (laughs) Knicks. Betting the unders is just the scariest thing to do for NBA basketball. All right, so let's get over to the Cameron Smith interview. We talked with him about everything going on in the NBA and Got his MVP pick, Zach, which we, we really like liked. It. And we like it. You know, I do. I do, too. All right, let's go to Cam's interview. All right, we got to bring back our main man, because we had a blast with him last time, the Emmy-nominated sports broadcaster and host. Tape Don't Lie, Inside the Association, you name it. Mr. Cam Smith, we appreciate you coming back, man. 
I appreciate you guys having me back. It's always good to be on, talk some NBA, talk some basketball as we kind of head to uh, the halfway point of the season with All-Star coming up and we get a little closer to March Madness, man. So that basketball energy has to be up a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's March Madness. You know, last night I played the song by Future March Madness just to, top, just to tip <laughs> off the month. So, you know, absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, we just want to dive right into it with the Chicago Bulls. You know, that's a team I know you watch closely, and I always catch your tweets when they're uh, when they're playing well or when they're not playing well. You always have some interesting uh, gifts, too, as well. So that's always funny. But on a serious note, how well of a job do you think Billy Donovan has done with the uh, Zach Levine-led Chicago Bulls? You know what? It's been impressive, and it's really been something that, in the back of your head, you – Given Billy Donovan's experience in the NBA with him coaching Oklahoma City and the success that they had there, of course, they had Westbrook and Kevin Durant and still had success when West, when uh, Kevin Durant left. And uh, you had Chris Paul there and turned him uh, into a guy that, you know, revitalized his career. And I say revitalized because nobody gave Chris Paul a chance in OKC with that young group that they had, but they made the playoffs and they showed you that they can play. And I think that's part of what Billy Donovan was able to do um, with his coaching experience, of course, his playing experience from his days at Providence. So it was something for me initially. I knew at some point the Bulls will start to look like an NBA team because what we've seen the past few years with Jim Boylan and Fred Hoiberg, they were not an NBA team. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> um, so yeah. him being able to really implement his own philosophies within this group and you see it defensively, um, and it's something that they need work on with the drop coverage with their bigs, but they're starting to become better at it uh, as time goes on. So they are they are a group that right now is tied on the ninth spot with the Indiana Pacers and the East standings. But at one point was at the, I believe, the seventh spot in, in the East last week or a few days ago. So that just lets you know how tight the race is in the East is for those uh, those final few spots uh, for the playoffs. But this is a this is this is kind of expected. Like Billy Donovan is a basketball guy that's well respected, not even just in the NBA, but just across so many basketball circles. And so what he's been able to do uh, with their personnel, especially with Zach Levine and turning him into an All Star. I'm not gonna say turning him into an All Star because I like to give the player more credit than the coach. But Absolutely. He, but he clearly he clearly positions Zach where he can shine and show that he's grown and matured, not only as a scorer but as an NBA player. What would your take be on Zach Levine winning most improved player this year? Because I know a lot of people are talking about Julius Randle and, and the improvements he's made this year for the Knicks. But, I mean, would you say Zach has a better case than him as being most improved player of the year? Yeah, you know, he has a he has a really strong case for, for, for getting that award. I think the only thing that Julius has uh, above Zach is that we didn't hear Julius's name being mentioned among the All-Stars, right? So Julius Randle and, Randle and the Knicks were an afterthought in the NBA. And what he's done now to be awarded as an All-Star this season speaks volume to how he's grown and also giving credit to Tom Thibodeau, a guy that we know all too well in Chicago, of uh, positioning Julius to 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 be considered an All-Star, to be selected an All-Star, and to be considered a, uh, a, a most improved uh, candidate is, is something that uh, is going to be on his side. But I think for Zach, when you look at what he's been able to do with less, right? I mean, you compare the rosters of, of yeah. the Bulls and the Knicks, and you look at the breakdown of where you are uh, from just a star and, and talent standpoint. And the Knicks have had um, some setbacks as well, but the Bulls have had more setbacks when you think about the injuries to Wendell Carter Jr., right? Laurie Markin is out. Once again, something that we all hate to see because we want to really see what Billy Donovan will be able to do with a healthy roster, but that's the NBA. But Zach has, has carried this team on many of nights from not even just his scoring aspect of things, but also how he's setting guys up with the Kobe White. When we've seen Kobe have those games where he explodes for like 25 or 30 plus, and you're like, okay, well, we can put Zach at the point guard position and have him distribute and still be effective in that role and not just rely on him as a scorer. And if you look at that Portland game when they played out in Portland almost a couple of months ago, that was something that opened my eyes to how Zach has grown as a player, not just a scorer, but as a player. So when it comes to most improved is how you're affecting your team in different areas of the game, not just a scoring aspect. And we know that Zach can do that, but it's from a leadership standpoint. Okay. If you look at the Knicks, you look at the Knicks and you think about who their leader is. 
you're not going to really say it's a player. It's more so Tom Thibodeau. He's the leader of that team. But if you look at the Bulls, it's no question it's Zach Levine. He is the captain. He is the leader of that group, and they go how he goes. And when, as I mentioned with the Knicks, they have a little more weapons than the Bulls and what they've been able to do with R.J. Barrett, and now they have Derrick Rose over there now as well. And we've seen some signs from Alfred Payton a little bit, right? I mean, a lot of guys that they have over there um, – have been plugged into a system where they feel more comfortable as opposed to the Bulls where they have a lot more younger guys on the group. And so you're not seeing that that turnover as much as possible in terms of what they're getting uh, with their, their basketball IQ. It's not really happening as quickly as the Knicks uh, is happening. And clearly the Knicks are one of the top five teams in the East right now, record-wise. <laughs> so, so, again, um, uh, I think that Zach uh, should really be in strong consideration for that award. At the very least, <laughs> at the very most, he should be uh, awarded that, that that trophy. I'm sure Adam Silver and the NBA are extremely happy that the Bulls and the Knicks are both kind of uh, becoming good again. Yeah, <laughs> it's been tough to have the the two biggest one of the two two of the three biggest markets just be completely terrible the last couple of years. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, you need Chicago and New York. Like those are the the, the, the the two king cities of basketball, and then. We're going to just throw the title of Mecca on Chicago because that's just what it is. I can't be from Chicago and not call the city the Mecca of basketball. Sorry <laughs> to anybody from New York, all my New York family and people that I know out there, but Chicago has that title. So you, you, need, those two, you need those two markets to really thrive and bring basketball back to where it should be in the Eastern Conference, especially. Like, yes, you know, Indiana and Miami and Milwaukee, those are all good, but you're talking about two major market major cities. Major markets, mm-hmm. that that are really at their foundation, their core, are basketball cities. And you need that um, just from not even just a marketing standpoint, but just from a fan perspective, because that's just going to draw more attention uh, to the games, to the players. To the city. Yeah, to the city, of course. And, of course, fans are are not being allowed at full capacity back into arenas. But social media has been overtaken a lot when you're watching a Bulls game or you're watching the Knicks game and you're seeing Zach Levine just – body somebody for a dunk or it's a crazy three and just goes on these these scoring uh just kind of blackouts that he has like that helps social media and that just helps the the overall brand of the nba all right taking a look at the all-star game for a sec cam uh, were you satisfied with the the initial rosters for the all-star teams and and did you feel like anyone was snubbed or anything like that or are you pretty satisfied with how everything went you know what i was pretty sat- satisfied with how everything went i think the only snubs and i'll put air quotes you guys can't see me but i'm just putting air quotes uh (laughs) in my house right now the only snubs for for both conferences that i can see are demonte sabonis over in the east and devin booker uh for the phoenix suns now of course booker will be is an all-star because anthony davis will be playing so he's going to take his spot but at the same time when those initial selections came out you were a little surprised that devin booker didn't didn't get that nod over uh over a couple of players right um you could have swapped him out or swapped him in and swapped out his point guard for the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul. But, you know, it's one of those things where they complement each other so well, you can only go with one guy. So those are the two names that I would throw in. Um, and if you look at DeMontis Sabonis and what he's been able to do just from a number standpoint, there aren't too many guys doing what DeMontis Sabonis is doing with, with, with how he's averaging yeah, like his double-doubles, man. So um, those are the names that, that I would air quote are calling all-star snubs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cam. So the Miami Heat, they're getting back to their winning ways a little bit. And a lot of people say, well, you can kind of blame it on the long season they had and the quick turnaround, exhaustion, injury. Jimmy was out. So and now they're back to their winning ways a little bit. So how do you see them finishing out the East? That's the team that you have to keep an eye on because they're scary. Right? Those are the those are the groups that they're laying in the weeds, and yeah, they made the NBA Finals last year, and they put up a hell of an effort against a, a, a just a force in the Lakers and LeBron and Anthony Davis. But we know what that franchise is. They've been there and they've done that before with Dwayne Wade going back to 06 with them winning the NBA Finals. Of course, the Heatle years with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. So this is a not even just a, a, a roster, but an, an entire franchise that knows how to win. All right. There's not too many seasons where you see, OK, well, this is the, the third or fourth year that, you know, the heat basically suck. It's not that. OK. You know, when you face Miami, it's going to be a hell of a battle and they're either going to be one of those top eight teams in the playoffs or they're going to be right on the cusp 
of making those top eight teams. And now they took a leap last year. And I think they benefited from the stoppage in play because of the, the coronavirus pandemic. But they took advantage of that with the bubble down in Orlando and really showed people that they really um, elevated and sped up their, their, their process of what they have with Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler finally showing people that, you know, yeah, he can win or you can surround guys around him and uh, they can make it to, you know, the final stage of, uh, of the NBA playoffs. And so this is a group, again, that you like a Utah that a lot of people really, not a lot of people, but some people, are still sleep on you have to you have to be aware of how good they are and what they're bringing back to their group and how a bam out is even more comfortable now which is scary when you think about him um of how he's been able to mature and speed up his his basketball iq and his process as a player on both ends of the floor a guy that can that can switch one through five and is comfortable doing that Right. You have a Tyler Hero that's up to his numbers from last year and understands that he's more in a a targeted position because guys are looking for him now. Right. Kendrick Nunn has stepped up mm. even more this season, which is impressive. A Chicago guy. So, you know, I got to always get my Chicago people in and show them love. <laughs> um, he's a guy that, you know, we didn't see much of in the playoffs because he has some setbacks himself. But now he's really in, stepped into his role and understands what Eric Spolster and that franchise needs of him. Right. So all of these guys are really going to just help Jimmy Butler not even take on the load of, of just the scoring aspect of things. But defensively, they'll take that pressure off of him because they can get things done in certain situations. You know what's funny when you say that about Kendrick Nunn? I thought last year, and Ben, you know I'm right about this. I, I, was, I just thought he was just so pivotal during the regular season before the pandemic hit. For the Miami Heat early on, I felt like Kendrick Nunn just played a vital role in them winning a lot of games last year before, you know, the bubble situation. Yeah, and it was one of those things for him, man. He finished second behind John Morant in the Rookie of the Year board. Yeah, so that, that yeah. You know right there of how great of a regular season he had. And then when the playoffs started, there was that drop off of just not even production, but just visibility. We didn't see him out there. Right. Um, and there were the reports that he was dealing with um, uh, the effects of the coronavirus. And it's great to see him back on the court and he's healthy. But he never was able to catch a rhythm again when Eric Spolster finally put, put him back into that lineup. But then you have to think about this as well, Zach. Goran, Goran Dragic, he stepped up his play he and did. was phenomenal during the postseason uh, in Orlando, except for the time where, you know, he had the plantar fascia injury and that limited him uh, with what he was able to do. So. I think with, with none now, he understands how rare those opportunities are for not only making the playoffs, but making the NBA finals. And how that really can just elevate not only you as a player, but elevate your career. So I think he's primed to, if Miami gets to that situation again, he'll be primed and ready to really step up and help this team. So you said some people were still sleeping on this team, and I, I agree with you to an extent, but I would take that to mean that you're fully awake on them. But I want to see how fully awake you really are on the Jazz, and that would be, do you still believe the Jazz can be a dangerous, deep playoff running team, or is this going to be the same type of Jazz team that we've seen in years past where they fizzle out as they get deeper into the playoffs? You know, Utah and I have history just because I'm from Chicago, and I remember those years vividly of Jordan denying Carl Malone and John Stockton uh, NBA championships. So I I will say that for for this team, it it remains to be seen, really, Ben. If you think about, uh, you know, the the head coach in Quinn Seidel, who's going to be coaching in the All-Star for the West, Um, they have a a defensive dynamo in Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell has stepped up his game. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic, uh, I know I'm butchering his name right now, so, uh, but he's another guy that uh, is really stepped up his game. So those are all three guys that can help Utah get over the hump. But it's still it's still unproven to what they can be in the playoffs, right? I mean, depending on what that matchup is, if it's a Denver, if it's a Clippers team, if it's a Lakers team, do they have enough to get past or get through a seven-game series? I'm not sold on that right now because the regular season can be deceiving. And we all know that if you watch NBA, the NBA for, for a number of years and understand how things break down when the playoffs start, you're going to need guys to get you uh, points in, in situations where your star can't do it. So Donovan Mitchell, yes, he's going to get uh, 
certain averages, but at the same time, who's that second? Who's that third? Who's that even fourth guy that can steal you a game in the playoffs against a Clippers or a Lakers or Denver's team if you're going to get to the NBA Finals? So I, I'm not sold on them as of yet, but they're doing a hell of a job to make me change my tune if they keep playing like this. You don't think uh, Jordan Clarkson is the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not. Nah. I mean, he's having a hell of a year. He is. Six man off the bench. And, and in my and in my opinion, he he's the sixth man of the year. And I think that and going back to the All Star snub conversation that we had a little bit ago, he he could fall into that snub category as well, right? Um, we know that sometimes that 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 vote, not even sometimes, but every year, there's there's popularity uh, choices or selections with those teams. And Jordan Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Air quotes again got snubbed <laughs> for, Man, for the All Star, but I, I'm not sure. I, I, have we seen Jordan Clarkson in the playoffs and seen him have success in the playoffs? So that's the thing. That playoff, the that playoff atmosphere and just that whole environment changes players from a regular season guy to a guy that man, you were nice in the regular season, but I don't know what you're doing now. Like everything is just all for you. If you, you have to rely, good. yeah. If you have to rely on Jordan Clarkson to be the answer, I'm. Uh, it's a little concerning. It's a little concerning. It might. It might be a four-game sweep if you're relying on Jordan Clarkson to to get you to the next round. It might be a four-game sweep. He, he's. He, I don't think he, he's built. He's built for that. Donovan Mitchell with Rudy Gobert, yes, they're, they're built for that. Mike Conley with those two other guys, yeah. But if you're really relying on Jordan Clarkson to get you to the next round, good luck. Uh, let's talk MVP for a second, Cab, because obviously we've seen it this season. Joel Embiid has been balling. LeBron James is carrying the Lakers right now without AD. They're trying to get back to their winning ways without Anthony Davis. Then you got Nikola Jokic. You know, he's dropped 50 just as well as Embiid has. Dame Dollar is doing everything he possibly can to keep the Portland Trailblazers relevant. Then you got CP3 and what he's able to do with the Suns. So who do you think is deserving of MVP right now? Wow, you guys are really going there with this question. Mm-hmm. This is uh, a hard it's, one this year. It's, it's really difficult to answer this right now. And I say that because, of course, like the name out there is, is LeBron, right? You got to go LeBron. LeBron is the name. He's been doing so many things with this Lakers team, one of the best in the NBA. But then you think about Damian Lillard, right? Like how can you discount him and what he's been able to do literally by himself? Right, yeah, Gary Trent Jr. is having a phenomenal year. He stepped up his game. But C.J. McCollum has been out for a minute. And Dame Lillard still finds a way to not only get his numbers, but also put guys in position like a Gary Trent Jr. Uh, or a Derrick Jones Jr. to have them be a, an effective piece on the floor. And they're winning games. So that's where, for me, and I'm going to be biased because I'm a former D1 guard, college basketball guard, so I'm, I'm going to lean more towards the guard as opposed to a 6'8", just 260-pound just <laughs> alien in LeBron James. So <laughs> to answer your question, Zach, I, I'm going to go with Dame Lillard for my choice for MVP. And that and that really relies on how Portland finishes uh, not only the, the the regular season, but, you know, we know that the, the MVP award is a regular season award, but their performances in the playoffs – kind of sways voters a little bit too so if he can if they can finish strong in the in those final uh moments of the regular season and have a a a just kind of crazy first round then i think that damian lillard is your is your choice for mvp that's awesome second guest in a row say dame too exactly and i like that and you know i like it a lot man you know you know i'm rooting for dame i'm pro dame every time but we haven't really seen a big win the mvp in quite some time yeah, that's true. That's true. And if a big is going to win it this year, it's got to be Jokic. It's got to be him. If, show, if you're showing me another big uh, that's doing what he's doing. I know Embiid is out there in the East. I, I get that. But we, we know that the, that the West is a monster okay. night in and night out. And so with Nikola Jokic, it's more so of what he's doing across the board. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you can get the sexy step backs from Embiid, and he's putting up numbers scoring-wise. Right, Defensively, he's solid there. But is he putting guys in position like a Jokic where it comes to distributing the basketball? Right? How is he doing that? Right? Is he coming up with the steals like Jokic is doing? Is he just coming up with those intangible plays that Jokic has out there? So I, as much as I love Joel Embiid, 
Jokic has to win that award if a big is going to win it. That's, okay. just, that's just me. That's just me. And <laughs> again, it, again, again, Zach, it, it, it falls down to how these teams, how these two teams finish the regular season, right? So even for Philly right now, they're 23 and 12 uh, to this date, which has them fifth in the league. And then maybe four teams down, you got Denver, who's 19 and 15, coming off of that win of the Bulls last night. So if that flip flops, then it's going to be hands down. It's going to be Jokic in terms of the positioning of where they are uh, when it comes to top teams. All right, final question, Cam. If it's between Embiid and Jokic, whose acceptance speech would you rather hear? <laughs> oh, of course, one hundred percent is going to be Joel Embiid because he's going to throw some. He's going to send some shots. Like you know, he's going to he's going to throw out a rent free uh, to all the bigs across the NBA that he lived rent free in their heads for the season. That's yeah. why he was able to get his numbers. He probably was going to throw a little shade to Hassan Whiteside a little bit for, for no reason at all. Maybe <laughs> like, you know, you know, those shots are going to be there. That's why we love him. Um, but then it's, it's, it's also for, for him. If he wins that award and gives that speech, he's going to be emotional. And we, we've seen the emotion from Joel and B before when they came up short against Toronto with that last second shot with Kawhi. But here's a guy that from Africa really didn't understand uh, what he had in terms of skill-wise on the basketball court. Yeah, went to Kansas, had a quick season there, got to the NBA, had some injuries, had to really work and earn for everything he got and became the man of feeling. I think this year he's finally accepting that leader title or that leadership role for the Sixers team. And I think that's a, a credit to Doc Rivers and the conversations that he's had with Joel and also Ben Simmons. So I think he's going to go down that whole road and it's going to be emotional. So I, of course, I would love to hear the acceptance speech from Joel. You got to get that. Absolutely. All right, Cam Smith, appreciate you joining us. Uh, where can people find your work? Where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me everywhere on social media at Cameron Smith. No Ian Cameron. Again, as I always like to say, Cameron, a rapper, made my name cool. <laughs> Cameron, I got more love for you. But you can find me there across all social media platforms. And catch me on Stadium. We're doing a lot of things with uh, Tape Don't Lie. And as we get closer to the to the end of the NBA season, we'll have some, some nice uh, draft prospect videos coming up for you. So have a great time. Ooh. Tim Doyle on there. And I'll be jumping on Inside the Association on Stadium 2, breaking down some some latest news and happenings across the NBA world. I appreciate Ben and Zach for having me on, guys. All right, we want to thank Cam for coming on. We appreciate it. Always fun talking with Cam Smith, a reoccurring guest now on the Points in the Pain pod. Yes, he will definitely be coming back again. And you look at that. He gave us the MVP and for the second week in a row. Dame Dollar, pop your collar. <laughs> we've had Chris Black, we've had Cameron Smith both say – well, Cam said Dame is his number one. Chris said Dame would be his number two. But either way, Dame's making noise as an MVP candidate. Yes, indeed. All right, what's NBA Twitter talking about this week, Zach? What it do, baby? Yeah. They've been talking about a lot of stuff. We do have to mention, too, the first thing that they've been talking about, the firing of Lloyd Pierce. The Hawks, Atlanta Hawks fired their head coach. He's gone. Um, I think it came to a surprise to a lot of people that they that they got rid of him. Yeah, but you kind of knew it was coming in a sense, which I I hate to kind of say, but when you look at the roster and, you know, the players that they've had, and granted, there's been injuries as well. Trey was out. I believe John Collins was out a little bit at a period of time, too, as well. Rondo was out. They don't have Bajanovic, a player that they uh, was looking forward to having this, this season. And that was a player that I thought would really be able to push them over the edge in terms of having a, a playoff chance, playoff chances this upcoming season. And so not having him and along with other injuries, I think that them just going, getting off to a slow start and them getting off to a slow start the last few years, I think they just had a sense that they wanted to try and go in a different direction. And it didn't seem like Collins, yeah, and Trey Young got along very well maybe a new coach would would help them out but this was a team I remember back when the season started Zach you said you were going to take their team total over and I agreed with you I thought that the the total win total for this team was going to be over what Vegas expected because they look like a they look like a pretty solid playoff team solid offensive team yeah yeah I don't think anyone could deny that so the fact that they have just underperformed consistently all season and yeah, injuries have been an issue and COVID and, and everything like that, but they, they just have not been consistent in any way. 
Their defense has been up and down. Their offense has been up and down. That put all together, that's going to fall on the coach. And if you're not a consistent team and you lean towards being a bad inconsistent team, the coaching lifespan is going to be very short. And then you got Trey Young, and I believe his numbers may not be down, but I think his shooting can be better. Like I think he's a guard that shoots under 45%. I think he needs, in terms from from the field, I think he needs to improve that. I think he needs to be over as a point guard in this league. I think, you know, I, there's the Russell Westbrooks of the world who, who's probably high volume. So he probably does get the green light to shoot only 43 or 42%. But for a shooter and a, a finisher around the rim, you know, in terms of floating and, you know, the layup package of a guy like Trey Young, I think he needs to be able to, sh- you know, have better shot selection uh, this yeah. season. I, I don't think he's been able to do that very well. Like his shot selection, especially in the game that I've seen previously, with the uh, against the Boston Celtics, he only finished with like 15 points, didn't play very well, and so I think he needs to have his shot selection be a little better moving forward. And then I think that like once they get you know their guys back from injury, obviously uh, Bogdanovic, which will be next year, but just having everyone healthy will have the Hawks in a better situation. I think the coach that they're probably gonna get, which is Nick McMillan, I'm probably confident they'll probably get him or a guy like him. I think he'll be he's a good guy at, you know, turning a team into a winning franchise. So I think that'll be good. Yeah, he did a good job with the Pacers. And I think the cool thing was when the Pacers played the Hawks, you you saw the respect that those Pacers players had for Nate McMillan after the game. They were going up for it, going up to him, saying hi, talking to him about everything going on. So he he clearly has the respect of the players, which is important in the NBA. It's important in any sport, but specifically the NBA, if you want to be successful. So I think that's a really important part. Not to say Lloyd Pierce didn't have the respect of his players, but if you're going to have a coach come in after a firing right away, having a coach that players are comfortable with, players know, and has a history of being a player-friendly coach, that's what you want. That's really all you want with a team. And hopefully the injuries aren't going to be impacting them next year because they could really be a fun team. They could be a fun team. Trey Young could be a really fun player along with John Collins, and you add Bogdanovich into that equation, and it could just be a really fun offensive team to watch, and they just haven't been that this season. They've been mm-hmm. frustrating more than anything. They're a good 2K team, though. I play with them pretty <laughs> often on 2K. I got the little my I started a little my GM last night. They got a nice little cap room moving forward for the future. So, you know, you play a little 2K. I definitely pick the Hawks, you know, to start your franchise with. They got a nice little cap room. You can move some pieces around for the future. You can ride high with John Collins and uh Trey Young as your solid pieces and just work around them and you'll be in good shape. You know, that, that's what I would do. You know, that's what I, need, I would do. Yeah, well. Of course, and I, I need to play 2K21. I have only played 2K20 recently, and that game, I want to throw it out the window. It is a, <laughs> it's an awful game. That that game is terrible. You you can't shoot threes in that game. Maybe I'm just bad at 2K, but you can't shoot threes. The player movement is terrible. It looks like they have cinder blocks on their feet. I hate it. I hate 2K20. I would come One of the over worst video games ever. I would come over and see how what your skills hidden for. I would see. I would see what oh, they. my skills are nothing on 2K20. They're garbage. You, I mean, you will <laughs> murder me on 2K20. Now, if we're talking like 2K18, different story. <laughs> 2K20 though. Ooh, that's. I'm out on that game. I need to play my, 2K21. My best 2K was 2K13, and if I play oh, with Carmelo Anthony, I'm gonna win because yep. he's gonna score 40. Because I know how to shoot with him, no matter what. <laughs> Yeah, no, 2K, I think 2K20 is far and away the best game, the best 2K game. They just got progressively worse as it went on. Mm-hmm. Like 2K14 was okay. 15, 16, 17, 18, they just keep getting worse and worse. And it all it all comes together in 2K20 for just the crappiest 2K game ever created. They and say I heard next 2K20 gen is pretty good, though. They say next gen. So those next geners out there with the right, PS5s there and, the, and, the X, and the new Xbox – they say the new 2K on there is pretty good. So I guess we got to we gotta upgrade our lives and get a PS5 or the new Xbox. That's what we got to do. Ne- next episode, <laughs> in between this week and next week, we should l- put a little uh, feeler out there on Twitter where you can air your grievances against 2K. Because, <laughs> and then we can, we can read the grievances on next week's show if people have them. Because that is, I have a long list, Zach. A very, very <laughs> long and sad list of grievances against 2K20. 
Uh, other things going on in NBA Twitter. There was a debate going on a couple days ago uh, about offensive fouls. And if a, an offensive player, when they pump fake, they get a defender in the air on the three-point line, and then they lean into the defender for their shot to get the foul, the shooting foul, and a chance at an and one, possibly a four-point play. People were talking about how maybe that shouldn't be a foul called, or, or they, they were confused at why officials were even calling that in the first place. And on the, on the side of this debate, I would say that if a player, you know, like Steph Curry, James Harden, Luka Doncic, you see these guys pump fake at the three-point line constantly. And then what they do is they don't go straight up to shoot the ball. They really lean into the defender to get that contact in the air. That, to me, should be an offensive foul. I, I think that should be an offensive foul because then it's the offensive player who's initiating the contact. Without question. It ain't even up for debate. And anyone debating that, it's like you really want an offensive-driven league at this point. So, like, yeah. the defender just has absolutely no chance, like no shot. And that's just utterly ridiculous, right? You know what I'm saying? You saw the foul with Steph, with uh, Dennis Schroeder. Like, you saw that's And then they, and for, the, and for the refs to leave it as a foul, like, that was just, like, terrible. That was completely terrible. Like, you saw he got hit in the mouth. He could have been bleeding, could have got his tooth knocked out, all because Steph was leaning so hard, elbow and all, to the face of Dennis Schroeder. But it's a foul on Dennis Schroeder. Like, at what point does the offensive player need how much more space? Like, he's not even trying to shoot at this point. He's trying to get the contact from three to get three free throws. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's And we've seen the officials just play into the hands of the offensive player, and they continue to call it a shooting foul. And I don't know if they're going to change that ruling in the off season, but that's, that's legitimately makes me upset when I see people doing that. And I love Luca and I don't like James Harden. So to see <laughs> Luca do the stuff that James Harden does and vice versa, you, you see that. And you're like, it is, that's just not fair. It's not fair to the defensive player. It's not what the rules were meant to be. If the offensive player is leaning in, they're not going straight up for their shot that he's initiating the contact. That should be a foul. And I don't know why it's not called an offensive foul more often. And we saw them change the rule a couple of years ago, too, where if the offensive player came down with his leg extended a little bit, trying to get the contact, that would be an offensive foul. But, Zach, I think I've literally I think I have literally seen that called maybe three times in the past few years. It's still it's still so bad, though. It's still so, so bad. It's ridiculous. So hopefully they do something with that rule. But people were debating it on Twitter a lot and they were talking about how. Yeah, how ridiculous of a rule shouldn't even be a debate, though. Like, it really shouldn't. And these officials shouldn't be calling it defensive fouls. If anything, no call it. Just don't blow the whistle. It's a no call. It goes back to that Zach rule. But, hey, we're going to talk about the Zach rule. We got some feedback on the Zach rule. We're going to talk we about We do have that. some feedback on the Zach rule. All right, we'll get to that in a second. Um, we have, let's see. All-star, All-star snubs? snubs? All-star Man, snubs. Devin Booker? Snub. I don't care if he's in because someone is hurt. He was snubbed. And I got a lot of flack for saying they could have took out Zion. Like, and maybe that could have been the overreaction this week. But that's how I feel. Like, you could have replaced, you could have replaced anybody for Devin Booker. If you want to be honest, like, if we really want to be honest in terms of the reserves, because people always say, well, if, if you're going to add him, who are you going to take out? Anybody. Anyone, any Devin Booker is just as qualified to be an all-star as anyone else as that's a reserve that was selected, including second year Zion. I think personally he could have waited. He could have had another year. He could have waited another year before receiving an uh, an all-star selection. Yeah, I agree. And then you saw people talking about Sabonis. um, And we had Cam talk about Sabonis. And someone, I think it was a Lakers writer, tweeted about how Sabonis is the worst two-time all-star ever which is insane that's an insane thing to say because clearly you don't watch Sabonis play at all and how good he is he definitely deserves the two-time all-star selections um and I there's I need a list to see the worst two-time all-stars but Sabonis definitely is not the worst two-time (laughs) all-star if he's the worst two-time all-star I I can't even imagine there's some there's some scrubs now that have made the all-star team. Let's just oh, be quite yeah. honest. And, you know, there's been times where, you know, if a team's doing very well, they're just going to send a bunch of guys to the all-star. Like, I remember when the Pistons was sending, like, four or five players to the all-star team. Man, them cats, ain't nobody trying to come see them play. Nobody <laughs> trying to see them. They don't even score 20 points a game for the Pistons. Like, I, and, I'm, and yeah. me being from Michigan, you know what I'm saying? Me 
being from the state of Michigan and watching those Detroit teams. Like, I, n- I never was a Pistons fan. Like, never. Like, you know, Chauncey Billis, Richard Hamilton, Tayshawn, Rasheed Wallace. I like Rasheed Wallace, but he was in Portland, you know, when I was liking him because he talked trash and he got the most texts and he still go out and ball. Like, he was crazy. But him coming to the Pistons, though, that, that made it more interesting, at least, because he was just another bad boy with the gritty ways of the Detroit Pistons back at that time period, but never liked the Pistons. And so... <laughs> It's them sending so many guys when they were good, when they were a good team. I never liked that either. Like Tayshawn Prince, like why is Tayshawn Prince an All Star? Like I think Sabonis better than Tayshawn for sure. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah, Sabonis is a tw- is a double double machine. Heck, I can get a double double any night he really wants to. So he's he's very clearly not the worst two time All Star. It just shows you how few people Pay watch the Indiana Pacers and watch Demontis Sabonis. Uh, last thing, NBA Twitter talking about Embiid's got tricks against the Cavaliers, Zach. You didn't see my mess? Embiid was off the step back. Ooh, hey, it was so nice. He was, hey, it was so nice. And I think it was on, uh, what's his name? Jared Allen. It was on Jared Allen. So you're dribbling the ball between his legs, between his legs, and like around the mid-range area, 17 feet. Then he dribbled, 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 cross back, step back. Ooh, for the jumper. It was so smooth. I said, oh, yeah, he in his bag of tricks. And that's he what everybody so was saying. Yeah, he, he's gotten a lot better at that. That's one of the big reasons he's an MVP candidate. He's just improved every facet of his game this season. And what's more, no, what's really most important is that he knows when and where to go. He knows the spots he wants to be in. He knows when to dominate down low and when to come outside. Like, you know, sometimes he would start off outside, work his way in. Now it's just like, all right, I know when to be inside. Okay, I know when I can got this guy beat outside. Okay, he's too slow around this area. Okay, if he's going to sag off, I can catch and shoot. I'm prepared to catch and shoot from Ben Simmons if he attacks because he's sagging off looking for Ben Simmons to attack. So now I can, you know, stretch the floor a little bit because that's part of my ammo too. Man, he just got so me. He's working on so much that he's added so much more to his game. And B, it's just impressive to see. And then to see the step back uh, last week, it was so dope. And you've we saw a little bit of that last year, but this year it really does seem like the game has completely slowed down for him for the most part. He'll still have, you know, some bad passes and some bad turnovers from the post, but it does seem that this is really the first year where we can definitely say the game has completely slowed down for Joel Embiid. He's seeing the court a lot better. He, he's he's seeing moves ahead of where he is a lot better, and he's just become that complete player that people expected him to be, you know, two or three years ago. We got a new segment, Ben. We got a new segment. We do. No, we. I don't have a, a song or anything for this, unfortunately. But oh, if, it come, if it becomes That's a true. continuing segment, we'll make some sound. We'll make some sound for sure. Fan feedback. And what's this fan feedback about, Ben? It's about your rule. You brought up, what, last week on last week's pod? Yes, indeed. So we asked the fans, well, I asked the fans, what do they think on the Facebook page, the Facebook story? Gave them, you know, 24-hour feedback just to see what fans think of the of the rule, right? Just give us thoughts on uh, what, do, what do they think in regards to the last two minutes of an NBA game within five points. There's no fouls called, and the ref only calls what's necessary in terms of three seconds, out of bounds, you know, double dribble, you know, the you know, the typical NBA rules of the game, you know, travel. But we hardly ever see that, but that's neither here or there. But we just wanted to get some feedback from the fans and the listeners of the Points in the Paint podcast, the Point Painters, as we will call them. And they gave some pretty solid feedback, right? Yeah, they did. I, I like some of the feedback that they gave. I'll go, go through some of them because some of these are pretty good. J-Dub919, he said, I like only clear blatant fouls should be called. You know, that's what he feels like. And, but otherwise, they should play some grown man ball. Now, I, I feel that. Now, how do you feel about grown man ball? What do you, what do you think grown he's describing ball. that as? <laughs> well, it sounds like someone who loved the 1990s NBA basketball. <laughs> And it sounds like my dad, too. Sounds like, you know, the older guys who who love, you know, say defense wins championships. They want to see the men play down down low. That's where men that's where boys become men playing down low in a basketball game. So I I do think 
that it would bring a, a bit more physical physicality to the game. It would bring a lot more fun moments to the game where guys would really be getting inside each other's faces, knowing that they probably weren't going to be called for a foul. So I think a little bit of that would, would come out. OG Mike D said, I agree. It'll bring that pit bull out of them grown ass men. All right. Yo, same, <laughs> same sentiment. Yeah. Same sentiment. <laughs> You got Johnny J989, great name. And he said, I disagree because it'll turn into football at that point, which, you know, good point, fair point. I don't know if you're going to have guys tackling each other, but <laughs> listen, if you're not going to be calling fouls, it's going to be turning into a really physical game. Now, is that game going to be similar to the way basketball is played right now? It may not. It may change the dynamic of the game a little too much. And that's why I kind of like the really only call the blatant fouls. Call the fouls where a guy gets smacked in the head or gets hit to the ground. That That is understandable. But those little bump fouls that you get on drives to the basket, I don't think you even need those in a normal game to begin with at any time. <laughs> See, there you but go. Especially, especially down the stretch. If guys are just going to be bumping on drives down low or bumping each other on rebound attempts, let, let them play a little bit more physical. Ray Beatty, seven. This would be nice. But too many crybabies in the league nowadays. Well, all right. We'll tell it how it is. <laughs> uh, that also sounds like uh, that also sounds like my dad, something my dad would say. People people do like to say that there's a lot of crybabies in the NBA. Now, that may have I think that was probably more true in the late 2000s, early 2010s. But I think I don't know. Maybe you see a little bit people more complaining nowadays. It just uh, depends. Depends on the player. <laughs> it does. That's that's true. Um Telly tells one great name. It's uh, they said it's a thought for sure, but I'm sure you'll have guys like Pat Bev exploiting that rule. Mm. <laughs> Pat Bev loves to exploit the rule. That's true. Well, um, a guy like him, you would want on your team. I know in the last five minutes down the stretch of a two minute game, because he's going to full court press. He's going to be in your Jersey. So if you got a guy like that on your team, at least one that's, that's good for six fouls. You know, he got six fouls. Those last two minutes, he still got those six fouls. Man, listen, it's no hose bars. And we get up and whoever's bringing the ball up full court in his jersey. And unless See, he's wonder, getting tackled, oh, well. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it'll turn into a thing like a hockey hockey game where you have, like, an enforcer that you send out there. <laughs> you send out the big guy. Like, I'm just thinking about the Bulls. You, you have Felicio on the bench for most of the game. You send them out for the last two minutes, rough up some guys, get those six fouls called. Make them scared to go down low. Make them scared. It's a mental game. It's just it's just there as much go. physical as it is mental. There you go. All right, let's do stat of the week. Stat. Of the week. Now I had this one, but the other one is so hilarious. But we're gonna get to that one. But this one I thought was pretty dope, and he's a hometown guy, so I wanted to give him a shout out. He had 19 assists in a ball game, 19 dimes to go along with a triple double. That player is Draymond Green, Day Day Saginaw High, Saginaw Pride, all that good stuff. Sag Town, Sag Nasty, whoop whoop. You know all that good jazz. Nineteen <laughs> assists. He was sharing the sugar, Ben. Yeah, he's playing really. He's kind of playing that point forward role, or at least he was. He's not. He's not a point forward. Don't get me wrong, but he was playing that role, and he seems to be a lot better at facilitating these days. He seems to be comfortable taking some of the, taking some of the defenders off Steph, and obviously the chemistry with Steph is there. But I think Draymond knows with no Clay Thompson, he has to be that number two guy, and he's stepping up. He's stepping up to not only be that number guy, number one guy on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively, he's been facilitating a little bit more, facilitating from beyond the arc, getting Curry his open shots. Because that one-two game with Clay Thompson that Steph Curry had and that won them three championships, that's not there right now. So Draymond knew, and it seems like he knew he had to step up. He had to be a guy to facilitate a little, a little bit more than usual. And it's working because Steph is playing at an MVP level. The Warriors are surprising people with how well they're winning. And Draymond is racking up double-digit assists. Double-digit assists. And what's so crazy is for the month of February, Draymond Green led the league in assists with, like, over 11 a game. And so great shout-out to him. 
And like I said, 19 assists with a triple-double. He only had 11 points. You know he ain't going to do too much scoring, which I really be hating sometimes, you know, because he's from, he from my hometown. So I'll be going him to score a lot more. But there's a lot more to Draymond's green, uh, Green's game than scoring like these 19 dimes he was able to showcase. All right, the final stat of the week. Four for 45. 8%. Four for 45. That's what the Houston Rockets shot from three on Sunday night against the Memphis Grizzlies. They were four for 45, Zach. Hey, that you sent me this. Disgusting. <laughs> you sent me this. I'm like, who in the world? I didn't use those words, but who in the world? Shot that poorly from the three-point line. And you said the Houston Rockets. And I was like, wow. And then you sent me the percentage. It was like 8%. I was, it's like, that's just terrible. But Oh, God. I think it was John Wall and Eric Gordon combined to be 0 for 10 from three. They were both 0 for 5 from the three-point line. <laughs> um, it, it's just I don't know if I have ever seen a team shoot 8%. that poorly. <laughs> With that high of a volume of shooting, 45 threes, threes. and they made. I would have been stopped. Four. They made four. <laughs> I would have stopped at like 25. <laughs> well, it just depends on how many they had shot at halftime. But if I'm the coach, I would have been like, "Look, y'all need to start attacking the basket." You gotta stop. Right, guys, let's, let's let's shoot the mid range now. Let's. Let's work our way inside out. <laughs> when I just wonder, wonder when throughout the night do you start realizing maybe it's just not our night. Maybe it's just not the three balls night for us tonight. It's not like at what point you gotta because I know they got the stats on at the you know the big old part of the jumbo trot up there. So I know they see the team stats. So when they say at one point it said one for seventeen, I'm probably sure like two for seventeen. <laughs> Something crazy to that. I know at some point it probably said like three for 25 or it said something outrageous where somebody had to look up during a timeout and say, all right, guys, we need to start attacking the basket. Let's stop just absolutely clanking all of these three-point shots. <laughs> I just thought that was wild. As shows how poorly the Rockets have been playing in general. That A, they can go four for 45 from the three-point line, and B, they didn't make any adjustments any adjustments to try to go more inside or to try to to penetrate a little bit more against the defense they just they just kept chucking it up daryl morey would be so proud last 10 games they've lost them all they've lost 12 straight 11 to 22 14th in the west a team i thought was going to be really good but they don't have christian wood victor oladipo has been out john wall was out Plague injuries, no big man. I mean, you still got PJ Tucker down there looking crazy, guarding yep. six foot eleven and seven foot guys, but they're trying. They are. And if that's it for you, buddy, that's it for me. That is. That's gonna conclude this edition of Points in the Pain podcast, presented by Stadium V. Number one basketball NBA podcast here at Stadium. Number one everywhere. Number one in your hearts. Make sure you follow Points Paint on <laughs> Facebook. Make sure you follow us on Twitter as well. Follow myself, Zach Badgerhouse, and Ben Winstein on Twitter as well, of course. And make sure you follow Shams for all your NBA news and coverage around the association. And you'll hear from us on Points Paint next week. Thank you.